A quick reminder about tonight, we've got a, a, a great service. I am preaching, that may not be great, but our choir is going to do a, a, a mini concert before I get up and preach. And then after that, what are we going to do after church tonight? We're going to eat ice cream. There's no way, there's no way that can go bad. It never does go bad. So come back tonight if you can. How many of you um, like debt? Zero. We had a banker in the first service, like waving both hands like this. Uh, Most of us, most of us don't like that. I want to show you something. Uh, I was shown uh, several years ago. This is the U.S. debt clock. Do you see this? You see those numbers constantly turning? That is our debt increasing. That number right there, where the little red dot is, is 15 trillion, not far from 16 trillion. That is the combined total individual debt in our country, 16, almost 16 trillion. Then you go down to this number, you see how that's constantly flickering, that's changing all the time. That is the total combined U.S. debt, almost getting close to $57 trillion. How many of you can get your hand around or head around what a trillion is? Probably not any of you. So we got a picture. We're going to show you what a trillion dollars looks like. You have, There you go. That is a football field. Many of you know that. So that's 120 yards from end zone to end zone. That is a, uh, a truck there. That is a trillion dollars. How many of you would just like to have that little chunk right there? Wouldn't that be good? That is what a trillion dollars looks like. Let's look at 15 trillion, Kyle. That is the Statue of Liberty, that is an 18-wheeler, that is the football field, and that is $15 trillion. Can you imagine what $55 trillion would look like? And again, all you, just give me a trillion and I'll go away, I'll be happy, I'll retire. Wouldn't that be neat? We're not going to talk about U.S. debt this morning, thank God, but in Romans 13, we're going to talk about debt. We're going to talk about some debts that you and I have or that we are responsible for. Remember... God wrote the book of Romans through Paul about 20, 22, three years after Jesus' death and resurrection. And he was writing to a great city, a multicultural city, a city where there was a lot of diversity, and to a church where there was a lot of diversity. And we started in Romans 2 this summer, now we're in 13, and he says some things here that are very, very insignificant for them and for us. Here's the first thing. Pay your financial debts. Now, you may not have come to church this morning necessarily wanting to hear that, but it is a biblical principle. In verse 8, it says, let no debt remain outstanding. Outstanding means when you have personal obligations to people, he's talking about finances here, pay what you owe people. Pay people the debt. Pay them what you owe them. Now, this is very important. He's not saying here that a person should never go in debt. How many of you have heard a preacher or a church or or, uh, some teaching that says you should never, ever go in debt, never, ever go in debt? I've heard it before. When I was in seminary in graduate school, one of my New Testament professors was a wonderful guy, but he grew up in the 30s and 40s, and he said you should only go in debt if you are buying a house, never to buy a car or anything. He was buying cars when you could get them for $150. It was different then. I don't know about you, but I've got to probably go in debt to get a a vehicle. Uh, This is not teaching about not going in debt. Some people say a church should never go in debt. 
Charles Swindoll, pastor in Dallas, was asked one time, why does your church go in debt? He goes, we don't want to meet outside. That's why we go in debt. Pretty good response, isn't it? How many of you are appreciative that we have an air conditioner this morning? You are appreciative. I guarantee you, if we decided not to have one, we would thin the crowd out in more than one way, wouldn't we? Weight-wise and uh, and number-wise. So this is not teaching against not going in debt. Now, obviously, the Bible says financially, you, you, if you're charging people, don't charge interest where you're taking advantage of people. When you're going in debt, don't go in debt that you cannot afford that's going to swamp you. The average American today who has a credit card carries about $8,400 on that credit card. Now, folks, that's pushing it for getting you in trouble, okay? So the Bible would say be careful with your debt. Don't be a slave to debt. Don't misuse or cheat people when it comes to lending out money. But here's the fundamental thing that he's saying. What you owe people, you should pay people. The early church, and this is Paul's part of the early church, where some of them were taking advantage of the Lord's Prayer. You know the part where it says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. You know that part of the prayer? Everybody in here probably does. And they were taking it to say, well, I owe Eric money, but if he's a good Christian, he will forgive me my debts as I will forgive others their debts. That's not what that was saying at all. Folks, if you're a Christ follower today, one of the things, a part of the gig is when you owe people money, you need to pay your money. And people get awful weird when you start talking about money. I know that. I've been in this business long enough. But it's really important as a Christian, if you want to have a good name and a good reputation, you want to honor Jesus Christ that you honor him in every area of your life. Years ago in Tennessee, a young man I'd grown up with, he wasn't my age, known him my whole life just about, and, and I was trying to convince him to become a Christian, trying to get him to cross the line with Jesus. And, and he had a lot of different, you know, he, things that he was trying to work through. One of the things he said, you know, he goes, there's a guy in town that both he and I knew, a very wealthy businessman and a, an outspoken Christian businessman. Here's what he told me. He goes, you know, that guy is so difficult to get money with. I do business with him. And I have to bug him and bug him and bug him to get my money. This guy's a multimillionaire. I, I have a feeling I know what he was doing uh, and being late and paying people. But I can tell you one thing he was doing. He was hurting the name of Jesus. And he was hurting this guy's chances of becoming a Christian. When you owe people money, if at all possible, you do what you need to do to make it happen, to pay him back. If someone owes you money, how many of you agree with what I'm saying? Okay, I'm going to borrow money from a lot of you, not pay you back because you're cool with it. How many of you want people to pay you back? Amen, you do. Either you're goofy or you're dishonest or you're filthy rich and it doesn't matter. You want people to pay you back. I've had people tell me this before. I got as a pastor years ago in a place far, far away from here. I got in a family dispute and where some of the family members had borrowed money from the, uh, the matriarch and the patriarch of the family. They had some cash, too. And they weren't paying back these relatives the money they owed them. And it was irking the relatives enough that they were letting me know about it. And when I talked to this one person who owed the money, here's what he said. Oh, they've got a lot of money. Why should they want their money back? If you borrow $100 from Bill Gates and you tell him you're going to pay him back, you pay him back. 
Part of being a Christian is that we look at all of life. Oh, this doesn't really matter. Yes, it does. Pay your bills is what God says. Don't let any debt remain outstanding. Pay what you owe people. Now, here's the second thing he says. He tells us we have one debt that will never, ever pay off. I want to tell you this morning, if you got a visa bill and you got $8,400 on it and you're paying $4 a month, you will never pay that debt off. And by the way, that's what the visa people hope that you do. But we have another debt that we can never pay off. And here's what it is. For everything Jesus has done for us, we owe love to everyone in our world. This is a little bit different take this morning on some of the fundamentals of the faith from Jesus Christ. But he tells us this, because of what Jesus has done for you and me, if you're a Christian, we have a debt to other people we can never pay off. Look what he says in verse 8. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. He's saying this, if you're a Christian... Jesus came to earth, he left heaven, he left all the privileges and the power of heaven to come to earth, to put on a human body, to be God, but to be 100% man. He had to suffer, he had to sweat, he had to work just like you and me. And then he gets arrested, beaten, mauled, spit on, cursed, nailed to a cross, and murdered for your sins and my sins, not for his sins. And then he walks out of the tomb three days later. Pretty good gig, wasn't it? And what the Bible says is because of what Jesus has done for you and me, the rest of our lives, there's nothing we can do to repay him except give him our life. And he tells us here we repay this debt. This is interesting. We repay this debt by how we love other people. He uses the word here, agape, for the word love. Remember, the New Testament was written in Greek, and the Greeks had four words for our one word, love. is a very expressive language, and this word agape is an important word. It, when, it says, when he tells us to love other people, he's not necessarily saying that you've got warm and gooey feelings towards them or that it's all emotional. You may not like a lot of things about them, matter of fact, but he's saying to really love people is you're making a choice to be benevolent and kind and nice to them despite them. You following me? Some people you're gooey over. Hopefully your husband or your wife, your boyfriend or your girlfriend. But he says, I want you to love everyone. I want you to choose to be benevolent and kind to everyone. He says in this passage, to love your neighbor as yourself. The word neighbor literally means another of the same kind or another of a different kind. In other words, to love your neighbor means to love every other person on this planet. The Jewish people thought to love your neighbor just meant in this day that you just loved your fellow Jewish people, which could be hard enough, I'm sure. It's not what it meant. It meant that you are to love every person on this planet. How do you spend the rest of your life paying God back if you're a Christian? you're not a Christian, become one this morning. If you are, how do you do it? You do it by making a choice that you're going to love every person that comes across your pathway in this life. And then he tells us this. He tells us that loving people solves our most fundamental problems. How many of you have some problems this morning? 
How many of you have some people problems this morning? Raise both hands and a foot if you need to. You do, and you will. And he says something in this passage that's just absolutely phenomenal. He said, loving other people solves our fundamental people problems. Look in verse 9 and 10. The commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not covet. What other ever commandment there may be are summed up in this one rule. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. In Leviticus 19, 18, way back in the Old Testament, he says, love your neighbor as yourself. How do you love your neighbor as yourself? That means you love them a whole, whole bunch. Most of us here this morning, we may have low self-esteem, but the truth is we love ourselves a whole, whole bunch. God says, love your neighbor as yourself. He's saying you love people a whole lot. It's interesting. He says this, this brings together all of the law. Now, folks, we're going to look at some of the Ten Commandments in this passage this morning. The Ten Commandments are divided into really two sections. The first four are vertical. They deal with our relationship with God. And the next six are horizontal, and they deal with our relationship with other people. Listen to what God says. When you make a choice to be benevolent and kind and loving towards other people, you fulfill everything else that the Ten Commandments say. In fact, folks, in Jesus' day, the Bible scholars had gone through and they had counted up in the Old Testament, there's 613 laws, 613 laws. That's incredible, isn't it? And here's what he says this morning. When you love people, you fulfill, you satisfy, you're obedient to every law there is in the Old Testament in regards to your relationship with others. Let's walk through this. And see what it says. In verse 9, he begins with adultery. The commandments do not commit adultery. This is number 7 in the big list. Adultery is a married person having sex with someone that they're not married to. I'll say this. Now, you better not be having sex. But boyfriend and girlfriend, we'll apply this to you in a, in a moral way. You don't cheat on people you really love. So, oh, you don't know how my husband is or my wife is, and that other person's so nice to me. You don't cheat on people you genuinely love. I know you can't sum up what may need 50 hours of marriage counseling in one sentence, but I'm giving you you a real good head start. Young people, don't date somebody who tells you they love you or like you a lot and they're a player behind your back because they're lying to you. Years ago in England, I don't know, this may have been some of Brandon's kinfolk, I don't know, some psychologists got together to try to work on a man who was a serial adulterer. This is funny. That's not funny, but this is funny. Nothing seemed to work, and his wife, for whatever reason, loved him, was going to stay with him. So here's what this psychologist did. They put this guy in a room, they hooked him up to all these kind of things on his arms and his head, and they would show him pictures, maybe of the Grand Canyon, maybe of different sites in London. Then they'd show him one of his wife. And when they'd show him one of his wife, they would give him like a cookie or some ice cream, some kind of positive reward. And then they would show a picture of his mistress. I'm not making this up. And they'd shock him. And they did this for like eight hours. I don't know about you. I'd say, 
Give me my wife and some ice cream. I'm done with the mistress after the shock treatment. You know, the bottom line is some of us this morning could use a few votes probably. But if you really love your husband or wife, you you really care for that person you're dating, you're not going to cheat on them. Here's the second thing he says. After this, he talks about murder. Do not murder. Murder would be one of the biggies of the Ten Commandments. Would you agree with me? It's number six on the list. Here's what Jesus Christ did. Jesus upped the ante on this. Jesus said, listen, you're not guilty of murder just by doing the act. When you hate people in your heart, you're murdering them in your heart. Jesus said, when you are a hater in your heart and mind, You are murdering people. And he says here, do not commit adultery, do not murder, and these things won't happen when you really love people. Now, I know there's crimes of passion, things like that, accidental homicides, things like that, but but anytime you have a premeditated first-degree murder, let me tell you, there might be a lot of problems, but love uh, is not one of the things that's uh, that's, uh, happening there. So, well, I won't ever murder anybody. Preacher, talk about something that matters to me, okay? Why do you gossip? Why do you slander? It's not really because you're smarter than everybody else that you criticize them. It's a lack of love. You see, when we can sit around and talk about people and put them down and hurt their reputation, oh, we would never punch them, we would never kill them, we're destroying their reputation in their name. And the bottom line is, when that's going on in your life and my life, there's a lack of love for God and a lack of love for people. Absolutely. That's the truth. Do not steal. You see the next one there? The honesty thing here. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. These things are fulfilled when you don't or when you do love people. Number eight, it's honesty. It's beyond just thievery. There was a little boy in Sunday school one time, and the teacher asked him, what is a lie? And he said, it's an abomination to the Lord and an ever-present help in times of trouble. (laughs) If you didn't think that's funny, you're a liar probably. (laughs) You know, this may really even sound silly. But you love people, you don't steal from them. You don't cheat them. Oh, I love them, I just took advantage of them and got $10,000 from them. Whatever. I love my husband and my wife, I just lie to them all the time. Well, you may be a liar, but you don't love your husband and wife. I love my friends, I just don't always tell them the truth. You don't really love your friends. So when you love people... You're not going to lie to them. You're not going to cheat them. You're not going to steal from them. The very first church I pastored, I lived in a parsonage. You can ask Mary and Clayton about it sometime. They went down there uh, one, one weekend for a revival. It was a wonderful little church. It was a very country church. You could have stood at my front porch and thrown a pebble like that. I was from here to the, that wall to the church. Closeness is always in proximity not a good thing. <laughs> Sometimes it's good to drive to the church. But I live right by the church. And and right by the church was this very destitute family. Had a lot of problems. Several of the family members were in and out of prison. Had a lot, a lot of problems. And our church loved these people. We had baptized several of them. We always tried to help them. And I was always trying to help these boys. And and, uh, 
I, I kept a money jar in my house. My dad always told me not to do it. Somebody else steal it. And he was right. I don't think I ever told him because I didn't want to hear I was right. And there probably wasn't but 30 or $40 in there, which was a lot of money to me back then in pennies. And I came home one night, and somebody had opened my window and stole my money jar. About 30 seconds after I got home, I saw one of the boys from next door in my yard. Of course, they didn't know anything about it, but I knew who had taken my money. And you know, the, the thing, I, I think about that, it's 20-something years ago. And I look back on that, and I'm sure I could have used that money. I could have had a swinging hot date or something, who knows, with that 35 bucks of pennies. But the thing that bothered me most, and I didn't, I didn't know this Romans passage back then. I didn't understand this principle. But the thing that bothered me most was I had loved those guys, and I thought they loved me, and they stole from me. And it wasn't the money. It, was the, it, just, it made me realize they really didn't respect me and love me. You see, why, why does God make such a big deal out of the love thing? I just get tickled when Christians think they've moved beyond loving God and loving others. Folks, if you move beyond it, you're going the devil's way. There's nothing more important in all the Bible than, than loving God and loving people. It's stressed over and over and over and over. One reason we cheat people and we do wrong, whether it's in junior high or whether it's in the nursing home, is because it's a lack of love. Then he talks about coveting next. Do not covet. Covet's the 10th commandment. It's one of the least understood because we know what it means to not steal, not commit adultery. We get that. Not murder. Yeah, I understand that. Covet is a really ugly word. Covet, in fact, may lead to the other things. Covet means I look at something that someone else has, and I want it in a wrong way. Not saying like, hey, they got a good education, they got a good car, I need to work hard and get it. But it's like looking at their husband or wife and going, man, if they're, you know, if they're not ever in the picture, I'm going after them. Whoa. Or looking at their success or looking at their toys and saying, boy, that's, man, why, why them instead of me? And God says when you love people, That's not going to be your attitude and your heart towards them. He goes back. I want to go back and look in verse 8 and verse 10 again. He says, Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves has his fellow man has fulfilled the law. Literally, that word fulfilled there means to fill something up to the brim. How many of you have a tendency when you get a cup of water or coffee, you fill it up too high? I do. I get coffee in our break room, and I'll fill it up. And by the time I get back to the office, it's half full because I've emptied it all over my hand and my pants. I, I just like a full drink. And what he's saying here is, is that when you really love people like you should, you are fulfilling to the top of the brim what God's left you here on this earth for. You're, you're, you're meeting the demands God's placed you here for. Galatians 5.14 says it again. It says the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. I want you to think with me just for a second about the people you love the very most. I hope it's your husband, your wife, I hope it's your kids. I hope you can think of some friends. I had a lot of time to think about it this week about some people that I love the very most. And you know what? 
I would never think of murdering them. Maybe hold them underwater for a minute or two, but bring them back up. I, I, I wouldn't sit around and slander my wife. I wouldn't gossip about her. I wouldn't let you do that about her in front of me. Because I love her. Are you getting the picture of what God's trying to paint this morning? The junk and the garbage in our hearts and our lives, it's not just a personality flaw, it's a sin flaw that love fulfills and takes out of our heart and our life. Do some people need to be knocked over the head and still loved? Absolutely. I want to read to you something St. Augustine wrote thousands of years ago, and it's so good. He said, disturbers are to be rebuked, the low-spirited encouraged, the infirm to be supported, objectors confuted, the treacherous guarded against, the unskilled taught, the lazy aroused, the contentious restrained, the haughty repressed, litigants pacified, the poor relieved, the oppressed liberated, the good approved, the evil people born carefully with, and everyone is to be loved. Isn't that good? Yeah, I mean, there's some people you got to spank, you got to correct, you got to punish. But God says the answer is in loving people as you love yourself. Back when I was a sophomore in high school, many, many moons ago, 1979. Gosh, sounds terrible to say that, doesn't it? But I could have lied and said 99, but then I would have been lack of love for you on my part. There was a song that came out, and I wasn't really into romantic songs, but it was a great song. The, the, the title of the song was Love is the Answer. Go home this afternoon, listen to it, YouTube it, whatever. But it's a great song, and, it's, and, and that's what it's saying. It, it's saying exactly what God's wanting you and me to get this morning. That the hole in your relationships may not be as much about them as it's about you and me today. And the lack of what God wants here in our hearts. I want to see, show you one other scripture. And that's 1 John chapter 4. Two scriptures. And I want you to pay really close attention to these with me. Whoever claims to love God, yet hates their brother, is a liar. Do you hear that? For whoever does not love their brother whom they have seen, cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love his brother. You see, here's the, the bring it all together. God says this, if you have a lack of love for people in your life, one of two things is going on. You're either not a Christian or you're a Christian not where you need to be with God this morning. Let's pray. If you are a Christian today, I would ask you this morning to challenge yourself to look within. How are you doing with this concept? And how will you do with it from this point forward? If you're not a Christian or you're unsure if you're a Christian, I want to invite you right where you're seated to pray with me. And just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I want to turn from my sins. 
I believe you're God's son who died and who arose for me. And I'm asking you today, Jesus, to come into my heart. I'm asking you today to be my Lord and Savior. Let me have your attention just for a second. We're going to stand in a moment, and I'm going to challenge you to respond to God. Maybe you just ask Christ in your heart, or maybe you're ready to today. Ministers will be down front. We would love to help you with this decision. Come and say yes to Christ today. Maybe you'd like to join our church family. One way you can do that this morning is coming when we give the invitation. We'll help you do that today. Christian, maybe where you're standing or at the altar, it's time to do some repenting. It's time to ask God to bring that love for Him and others back into your heart like it once was. Let's stand. Just bow your heads and Justin's going to sing. And as God leads you this morning, you respond to Him.